And we are back with another awesome guest. I mean, he could not be nicer. He's out here making some incredibly good-looking bread. I highly recommend if you are anywhere in Humboldt County, definitely check him out. Snag a loaf. Take a bite of some happiness. And please give it up for Josh Berger. Good buddy and friend is a partner in that part of the company. And we started what we're calling Sugar School Coffee. We're also, he's trained. He's got a lot more professional experience in the coffee world than I do, but I've been obsessed with coffee for quite some time when we finally got like a, a roaster that allows us to roast co- coffee properly. Dive and now we're, we just took a class with uh, someone that was someone that's considered to be like, you know, the best in the business. So he's, it's like kind of like a class that came with some consulting and stuff like that. So we our our coffee game is going up and up and up. So yeah. you guys are getting dialed in. Yeah, we're trying or we're trying to at least. So that's yeah. cool. Was he in the coffee world before you guys linked up, or he My just buddy, enjoyed I, it? I met him because he was running. Someone introduced me to him. His name is Sean. I met him when they there for a quick moment. There was like a coffee club that opened up in Blue Lake that was uh overtaken by others, but initially him and a, a friend kind of started it to kind of have a, a hub for people to meet and then he was pouring not coffee that he roasted but like coffees that he'd procure and share and believe it or not the large majority of people that drink coffee just want like you know more typical roasted coffee so it kind of shifted away from that but that's where i met him and slowly he would stop by in the morning and we drink coffee and then you know we became we became friendly and then it just grew into something else and eventually we started our little company so that's cool people can go deep with coffee once you go into the rabbit hole it starts oh, it's it just it never ends well i don't i don't know it's super ton but basically you know there's so many flavors in wine apparently the amount of like flavor notes you can find in coffee is far more than in wine and then they've only just started really like digging into the science of coffee roasting recently so how it all works and how the heat affect it's yeah it's very very I, I I say bread's easy now because I've been doing it for a couple decades and it's complex too. But coffee's like you have to kind of learn like thermodynamics of how heat works and how heat transfer. It's like crazy. Even with bread, there's like some bread bakers out in the world that get real deep into the like the super sciencey side of things, which is cool. I'm kind of somewhere like I, I bet a lot of people would say I'm pretty sciencey, but compared to some of these dudes that are like. I'm like, dude, I didn't take enough science classes to really even get all the way there. Plus, you don't need to know all that stuff to make a good product. So, but coffee is super sciencey. So hopefully we find some of that science and it falls nice back. Balance. Yeah, like I that. had a I don't know if you know John Salmon. He's that harbor coffee and wine up the street yep. there. Sean works there right now as a barista. Oh, really? I don't know if I'm supposed to share that. They're uh, <laughs> shout out to yeah. John. They are super technical about their coffee. Exactly. The third wave coffee is and they're carrying is. I haven't been to every coffee shop in the in the whole county, but I would say they're carrying at least one of the best coffees that you could have brewed for you anywhere around here. The the theory coffee is pretty good out of out of Reading, so yeah, yeah, they're serious about it. And they're, a lot of people when once you move past the frappuccinos and, and yeah. the Starbucks, it's just <laughs> it never ends. You just keep going deeper. It's for some people and not for others, but those people that like get into it usually kind of like they get real. Like it happened to me when I was like, I mean, I got into coffee because a friend gave me a French press. I've always liked drinking coffee, but it was more about like, give me coffee. I'll add the sugar and cream till it tastes good. We get high on caffeine and then we have a good, you know, 
we crank through the day, whatever it might be. But when I moved here, a buddy gave me a French press and kind of showed me how he brewed and a whole like, I was like, oh, you could, because I already baked and I understood that there's recipes and there's technique to baking. I was like, there's, there's technique, like there's technique to brewing a pot of coffee that most people have, considering how many people drink coffee and how many people will just brew it, how few people know any, like they know nothing about what coffee even is. That's then, me. So, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm a Folgers Coffee is the, the seed of a, a coffee cherry that um, is dried a variety of different ways, and then they remove the parchment, and then it is, once it gets to a certain point, it's shipped out and roasted using hot drum roasters and stuff like that to a degree where we can drink it, basically. But it's a seed of a, of a little fruit, basically. There's, ton, there's so much to it, but yeah, most people don't know. They just drink it, which is, you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, as long as but, you get your caffeine in the morning, right? As long as you're happy. Caffeine or your bread, which, I mean, you're crushing it in the bread game. I sell bread and make bread. Yeah, yeah. Have you had my bread? I haven't tried it, but dude, the pictures that I've seen look <laughs> incredible. Andy and I were over here a couple of days ago just scrolling through your Instagram, okay. looking at everything. I will make sure that you physically get to, like, yeah. you know, get in there and, and super critique it soon. If I could find you, I'll, fi I'll find you after the next bake and bring you a bag of goodies. So how long have you been doing that? The, the cottage bakery that I yeah, have right that now, you have right now, uh, legally it was like signed up. I think this is like the end of the sixth year of me doing it. So it was 2000, it was like the end of 2015 when I got like the licensing and I guess it kind of really started in two, the beginning of 2016. I was still working at, it like sort of began when I was working at the Lolita bakery as the manager and I, was getting bored with what we we're doing and so on my friday nights which were strangely friday nights i'd create my own little dough to take home with me and then manipulate then put in the fridge to proof overnight and then in the morning i'd i kind of built like a usually like a regular old home oven i bought thick stones and i made a little tray with tea towels that i'd soak so they'd create steam and then another one with lava rock so i could pour a bucket of water in it right when I, anyway i'd spend copious about hours baking like 12 loaves of bread to bring to the arcade farmer's market and then i tried like bartering, all I really wanted to do is basically like make bread. I mean, at Lolita Bakery, we make great bread, but it was a very, it was all yeasted and fast. And I was really, at that point, I was getting into like sourdough cultures and really making like nicer bread. And that just, there, it wasn't happening there. There was no space for it there. Um, the things that the owners and others wanted there were different than what I was trying. I guess I got to a point where I wanted to do my thing a little bit more than ever. So that started. Lolita Bakery eventually fell apart. I was doing that pretty regularly, so I kept going with it, met a couple other people, and all of a sudden that kind of, that's actually kind of what blew up into me saying, screw it, I'm going to borrow some money and start a bakery out of my home doing this little cottage thing. So, and it continues. And it continues. Yep, and it continues, and we've, we've built a little coffee company into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so right after the Breadwork Company and Lolita closed, that's when you started you said screw it i'm gonna go out on my own it was shortly after that that i well i kept doing what i was doing no i got my my last job was like at another local restaurant in arcada and it slowly died um either i seem to go to restaurants and through my career i either go to restaurants and bakeries when they open and there's a common thing that happens if you're part of like the opening crew of a restaurant no matter what happens you probably won't make it because as they kind of figure things out all those people that help build it somehow get pushed out or you know maybe one of them makes it anyway or it's to when, you know, when they die, one or the other. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me as far as a, a baker or a cook, but that's, that's where I've lived in the, but I needed to be my own boss because I'm who I am and I need to 
yeah, I went Lolita Bakery kind of gave me some false promises that maybe it would become mine. And then that, sh that quickly became a job where they wanted me to manage, which is not actually something that I'm like very trained in or interested in. I mean, I, I want to work with others that are good with me. Like you don't want to have to train somebody and bring them up to your level. I constantly talk my, with Sean saying, I don't want you to be my boss and I don't want to be your boss. I want to run a company together because with, with our ideals. Hopefully we could speak where our, both of our ideals can come through in the end, but I don't want to, I don't want you bossing having to be my boss or vice versa. So yeah. Having employees can be challenging. It's a least. different job. Yeah. I met a baker in Chico years ago. He's probably still probably one of the best bakers that I've ever went to Dave Miller bake house out in uh, Chico. He, he's the guy now, right now, you know, probably lots of bakeries mill their own flour in house. And he's been doing it for far longer than everyone. It's like, he, he's been doing that for so long before it was trendy, but he was using an oven that I was interested in when I was working on other projects. So I went and finally met him and his bread's stellar. We had a conversation. He had a bakery in San Diego, heard this baker passed away up in Chico that had like a full on French bakery with all the old French, all the French tools. So he bought it, moved up there. The people that started, I believe, Chad and his wife from Tartine Bakery ended up working with who are now famous and don't, you know, do the whole Tartine thing. I think they went and worked with Dave to kind of keep this bakery going. And eventually Dave decided he'd just take all the equipment, bring it to his property, not far from Chico and just bake from home. And uh, when I talked to him, he was only baking once a week, a lot of bread, let it be known, you know, he went to do the Chico farmer's market, but, and then I said, so are you retiring? What are you doing? He basically said he left that because he didn't want to be a boss anymore and he wanted to be a baker. So that's always kind of like, that line that he told me kind of always stuck in my head that I, I, I want to be a baker and not a boss. And he found that when he owned the bakery with employees, he couldn't, he couldn't, you, you can't just do both. It doesn't work. So is that the same thing with being a chef? Cause you're also running your kitchen where you have that dual nature of you are, you're cooking, but you're also the boss in there. I'm not as experienced on the, in the savory culinary world, but I, I wish there were more like chefs that own their restaurants, but, uh, but I'm sure that's still sort of like one of those battles of being the owner of a restaurant and cooking because then, yeah, there's you have to think business and you have to think all this other side. But at the same time, you might be an artist with food and then you've got to make sure that it all comes together. Uh, yeah, because you could be, you know, we've had restaurants that were too lucrative and too much towards someone's, you know, wanting to amaze us. But then they fail because they weren't thinking about the business and they were the ones that were supposed to be thinking about the business and or it could probably go the other way around, too. So focusing too much on business and then the food falls off, which is Humboldt County, maybe not. Maybe it's everywhere. I've just been here for 16 years. But, you know, restaurants start, they come out hard, things are good, and then all of a sudden they're not quite as good. For, and then, you know. Well, and how many just shut down because of COVID and never opened up again? Yeah, COVID messed up, I'm sure. I mean, we only see here, but COVID messed up the world of restaurants everywhere, I imagine. In some degree, it's probably good for some of them. Like, we had all that hoity-toity food that we probably didn't really need, and a lot of those chefs have gone out on their own and taken their passion, and instead of being in some, like, fancy, you know, kitchen trying to have accolades, they're making food they love and making a, a living for themselves being their own boss. Maybe they're making burgers now, but I'll bet a lot of them are happier. I get the sense that you're happier being your own boss, working how you're working now. It is very, very challenging to work for a boss who tells you, like, how to cook and how to bake when they don't know how to do it, and and all they really are is the, the financial backing towards everything, and then you you're you, and that's super common. Yeah, they're trying to teach you how to bake. Like, hey, you just you just focus on 
running I, the business. Let I, me do what I need to do. And there's a, you know, they're putting the money behind it. They have all the right in the world to say this is the way, you know, like that's the fine. You know, we go back to Lolita Bakery and me and my, my buddy, who were the, you know, the guys that did the most of the bread, we were like trying to fix the Lolita Bakery, what we thought needed to be fixed. Everyone loved the Lolita Bakery sourdough, but we were trying to make it a more consistent bread. And one day we like, we thought we nailed it. We thought we we're like, oh, this will be the new sourdough for Lolita Bakery. Me and him were the, one, the only two people, not that it matters, but we were trained pastry chefs with plenty of years of bread baking, but we were the only two people in the entire bakery that preferred our new finish to the old inconsistent finish. So we both, we, yeah, it was one of those, uh, okay. So does that happen a lot where you craft this almost perfect dish in your mind and then you present it to the public and they're like, ah, you know, we're gonna, it's not, it's not going to hit. It, it happens. Some, well, sometimes it's not always that, but it's like, like with my bread, with my bread now, like when I put out a list with like pan majeur and then maybe like a rye bread and then a, and then the focaccia, I get it. Everyone chases the focaccia cause it's soft and it's, but it boggles my, like it, I would knowing what I know and what I love, I'm like, I'd be chasing the pan majeur or the rye breads. And then the focaccia would be the cookie to add to my, but you know, we're all different. So <laughs> is that how that's pronounced? Focaccia. 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 Yeah. I've been saying focaccia for my entire life. Unless I'm wrong. I, could I, 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 I could would bet be. I'm wrong. I would bet <laughs> I'm wrong. But nobody's, nobody's when I spell it it's a, that was a customer's coined, uh, uh, you know, joke on my focaccia, adding the X in there. So, but it's actually F-O-C, focaccia. Focaccia. It's classic Italian. It's kind of like part of like where pizza came from a little bit. So delicious. And have you always been a bread maker? Is that, because you went to the French Culinary Institute, right? Was that in pursuit of baking? Yes, I went for, I have a pastry, I have a degree in pastry arts. So um, I started baking on my own, I guess, in my first college. Hollow was the first thing I made. So yeah, the first thing I made was bread. Um, that that became kind of a hobby because I had, a, you know, once you have your first like kitchen in an off-campus like apartment, you're like, oh, look at this, I can make a mess. So I started, you know, I'd make challah and then all of a sudden I'd make like two loaves of challah and before they were even warm, me and my friends would have like completely devoured but it was like, there's something fun about it to me. So over the years, I got deeper into like teaching myself baking. And then when I finished that college with a you know liberal arts degree, I was going to go for a computer degree, but I traveled the country that summer. And that's when I found Humboldt on the internet. That's the road trip that you took. Yeah, the, the crazy road trip I took. And in Colorado, I was visiting a friend who had just moved out there and found HSU on the internet. And I was like, redwood forest really good weed i mean that's like sold that, that, yeah, exactly yes and get get the hell away from new york Let, let's go so i pretty much went home applied to hsu got you know did the things and as soon as uh as soon as i could i headed out here but when i headed out here i had a lot of fun kind of didn't bother doing the school thing and so i had to go back home after a year which is fine i was 20 but as soon as i went back home i said all right school let's take a pause I'm gonna get a job in a bakery because I enjoy. I was I continued baking while I was out here. One of my housemates was a chef, so we cooked together. So it became more and more of something that I knew I wanted to do. And even though my dad's like a was a computer guy and stuff like that, I always didn't think that. But they were totally behind me chasing a food career. So I got a job in a bakery, which turned into a job at a different bakery. I read books and taught myself and baked at home and. uh eventually decided uh i needed to go to culinary school and so i went to the french culinary institute for a year and got a 
degree in classic pastry arts and like literally like five days after i finished i was driving back here to live because the whole plan after i left here was to come back and open a bakery it just took me a little while well, I mean, quite. I mean, I guess if you call what I have now a bakery, I've, I've, I've lived, I've fulfilled my, my promise to myself. But maybe we can get it a little bit bigger soon enough here. Yeah, so. you don't have to stop building, right? That's part of the fun is just keep expanding. Yeah, I was for years trying to like build, you know, people to back me so I can get into a brick and mortar thing. But now I kind of want to see if I can find people to help me where I could buy a, a commercial residential home in Arcata that I could expand into, and still keep it. I feel like that would still, and otherwise I'll become a boss, but if I could keep it that way, I could hire some help and I could still kind of be like Josh Fox bread where there's a couple days where there's bread. Then I could actually do pizza and sandwiches and all the pastry stuff that I'm not allowed to sell right now. Cause I can only sell stuff that's like shelf stable with the cottage law. So then custards and everything, you know, become fair game again. So I can make, you know, but I could do it cool and randomly where I could just be like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make some, chocolate mousse cakes and i'm going to tell everyone tonight on instagram that tomorrow i'll have some chocolate mousse cakes and then just kind of like just like with my bread kind of organically see what the people want but not be your traditional bakery where we're, i don't want to be monday through friday eight to four is never going to be part of how i set it up well it's a hard battle in the sense that you want to maintain the quality and the integrity of the food you don't want to get so big that now your quality just isn't there anymore right yeah. is that kind of a balance for you of like i want to expand i want to bring people in but i don't want to i don't I, want it to get to that point where it is just another bakery because they won't make the bread the same way that i mean it's very challenging to train a crew to make bread the way that you know up to your standards i mean i could probably find i feel like i'd be able to find an assistant that could work with me and then i take the load off and then you know there's the right person I mean, there are people that bake bread better than me there's no doubt about it but like i'm trying to get what i want in the end and no matter how much someone tries to emulate what you're doing, it's not always exactly the same. Plus, if you're if they aren't trained or don't have the skill sets, it's very hard to give someone 20 years of experience overnight. So either you can have someone that just helps or you got to go find skill that we don't have tons of up here because we don't have a whole lot to offer people that are looking for work, really. So a lot of people will get the that have these skills will end up going towards a city where there's just more opportunity. So that's the big thing with Humboldt is. What is there really here for people to do? Especially kids that go to HSU, they're going to leave because there's no there's no work for or and the and and there's no competitive work to boot. Like if you go get a job, if I went and got a job in a bakery around here, I'd I'd make I get offered maybe a dollar two maybe two dollars more than someone that had no skill and was you know much younger than me. And you've got all that experience to back, which I kind of understand that you can only so make so much money off of the product, but it's like you get paid nothing for knowing what you're you know for being. I don't know ho- what you would hope would be a stronger piece of the puzzle, but they might not, you know, certain places don't need someone to be that good. Right. They just need the, the cogs to move. Is it pretty competitive in the sense that going to culinary school doesn't really add that much. So you could still compete with some guy fresh out of high school or something, trying to get a job at a bakery. <laughs> That's why I, I tell people that want to go to culinary school to really consider what they're doing because it's expensive. So if, if you're going to do it, make sure you want to be in the industry or you'd be wasting. And, there, and, and there's so much information from just going to a kitchen and saying, well, can I work for you? You could pay, you know, I'll dishwash and then, or, or whatever it is. Strangely, you get, I, that's how I, I mean, my first bakery job was when I got that first bakery job, I went down into peak skill and I met this dude, Herman, and he was, uh, he wanted, you know, I, I responded to an ad, but I had no experience. So 
once he realized how like I really had no experience, I, I could tell on his face he didn't want to hire me because he wanted someone that would take the load off. But when I hung out with him and he saw I was but he saw I was young and I was, you Hungry. know, into it. And he was 15 years older and he probably understood the feeling. And then when I watched him, he made Ruggla that day in front of me. Never. I'd never had Ruggla before in my life. But I went home, even though this is uh, this has got to be like 2000 or something like that. So the Internet's not, you know, it's not what it is now. But there was all recipes. And so I jump on and I look up Ruggla recipes. I ask my parents, they're Jewish, like what was they knew what Ruggla was. So I look up a recipe, kind of took it, went, made it the next day. I went back and saw Herman and I brought him my box of Ruggla. They hired me on the spot. Because it came out pretty good. It wasn't like perfect. It was, he's like, it's not as good as mine, but you know, but he was like, you went home, made regular. I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'll teach you. And so that was my first job baking. And it was like a wholesale, you know, we were making lots of simple stuff, cookies and pound cakes and all that stuff, but in like these amounts that were kind of like crazy to me. But, you know, I learned a whole bunch there, had a lot of fun. And so. for a first job, and the way you got that is that's kind of what everybody wants, right? You put in a little extra work. You go made your bread outside of it and brought it back to him. Yeah. You got the job. I've got a couple jobs like that. Back when I started, before I was schooled, I'd go another bakery job. I was like, all right, I'll go home. I went home. And at that point, I had kind of like learned how to make some stuff. I was like, all right, I'll make him a babka. And I brought them the few things that I knew what I was doing. And again, I got hired pretty much on the spot when I handed them the plate of what I knew how to make. So I was like, okay, cool. Do you think that's partly because it was you showing effort or because you're, you were pretty good? I think Even with Herman, was he was probably a little bit like, maybe they're not the best, but he made, he saw me, he went home and he came back with finished, a finished product that's pretty good. He's probably some, it's surprising how many people can't follow a recipe. I don't know if you're good at cooking or not, but there are some I people that, say, I wouldn't say I'm good. Some people are like, like to a degree where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I, you know, people say it's my, you know, Virgo mind, but I love organization and, and and order where some people probably don't so maybe they both saw well i'm sure the second people saw he knows how to make a few things we need a baker let's, now let's and he's nice enough he went out of his way he got us you know he brought us back pastries so they hired me that worked out for a while and then uh but the first person i think i think i impressed herman by just actually just doing what i did and he saw how much i wanted it that he changed his mind so i could be convincing do you think that <laughs> So going back to the culinary school, sure. do you believe that you need that today? Where I mean, there's so much information online. There is, but it's like, I'm sure there's there's probably ones online that are organized in a way that maybe you could do it for like so much less money to get like the cool thing that happened in culinary school was you like literally like the classes the class was six hours. You got in, you got like hands on demos from chefs that knew what they were doing, and they showed you, and then you had to do it. And they had the best ingredients and every tool and everything under the sun that you could possibly need. So there's, there's pluses and minus to it, but it's like, you don't get paid well as at all. You usually don't make much money, especially straight out of culinary school. And the amount of money that it costs to go to culinary school is quite a bit of money. Usually, what does it cost? Uh, French culinary student, I think they changed their name and now they're called something else and they're, they've expanded. But at the time, I believe it was like a $35,000 program or something like oh, that. Oh, damn. So comparable to going to a yeah, four year in nine months and you don't get a degree you get a you get a certificate i asked them you know but when i was like thinking about whether i should do it or not and i asked the guy in the office i was like why why wouldn't i just keep doing what i'm doing like learn which maybe i could have but he's like if you go to humboldt where there's so few people you will have the best resume always or at least you will have this leg up on your resume forever because you went to this like prestigious school and maybe Maybe when I was younger, that was true. I feel like maybe at this point, it 
would matter less because I have so much experience, but it gave me a really good foundation of like knowledge that I didn't have from just like opening books and jumping all over the place. And they made you focus. It's like, all right, we're doing cakes. And it was, you know, X amount of times just doing all the different classic cakes, all the different combinations. So they're, they're really giving you like the building blocks to get, you still get out of culinary school and basically need to go refine your, whatever it is you want, whatever focus point you want to do in baking, but they've given you this at least sample. So you could say, I hated working with chocolate or I loved working with chocolate or whatever it might've been that, you know, cause some of the, some of these people that were in my class never did it before. And were like, and I had been baking for a little while, but some of them, you saw pure natural talent, just like, Whoa, they're very good at like, particularly with cakes. I'm a terrible cake decorator. I'll build your cake layers. I'll make your fillings. And if you want me to make you a simple thing that I put together, I could do it. But as far as making extravagant, beautiful cakes, it's stressful. It's not my thing. But some of these people were just so natural. It was just like right up their wheelhouse. And that's that's like you get buku bucks for wedding cakes and stuff like that. So was that big business? Wedding cakes? Oh, yeah. I didn't think about the that. The nicer you do that, they pay by the, you know, they're paying by the slice and stuff like that. So if you're good, you, but it's so for me, it's I mean, I have friends that do it for me. It's so to have a to have a wedding cake on the line would still stress me like to have a birthday cake on the line for 12 would stress me out so like to have a 300 slice wedding cake that you don't want to fall and everything yeah too much nope I'll that's make a your, lot of pressure i'll, I'll make your bread <laughs> yeah that's a lot of pressure to have to do especially somebody's wedding cake because then it, if you mess that it's up the day. It's, yeah, then what you, it's yeah. not gonna end well nope. it's it's really an art form oh yeah baking and just cooking in general it's oh. it's an artistic form of expression i guess you could say indeed you, you're tasting i always say like the reason people will go to like a super high-end chef's place in the long run would be because he's proven that people love his palate the things he's doing and that he finds that are delicious and feel and taste good together other people want to taste what that person thinks tastes good because obviously his palate is uh, uh finding good things so now with your bread is it are you trying to get it structured to the point where it's repeatable where every piece of bread tastes the same or do you have a loose structure and then you just kind of fill it out as you're baking each batch well i, I have a plan i mean it's it's totally organic a lot of my breads are sourdough culture so you know every day is going to be slightly different but my pot majeur i'm hoping is kind of like pretty much essentially the same loaf each time i make it that not it can't be exactly the same but i'm trying to keep it what it is throughout the time that's why it's, some of my breads I make more often, but some of them that I don't make a lot, I, you know, there could, I could go six months or a year without making a type and I have to kind of remember. And I can't, I can always remember enough to like, you know, make a loaf of bread, but to get it like dialed, dialed in usually takes a few runs. I have, yeah, count my buddy from New York came to visit and he's like, how many different, you know, breads do you make? So I counted my spreadsheets and I don't make them all on a regular basis, but if I counted them all, it was like 80 some odd different breads. So that's a, whole, a pretty good amount. And a whole bunch of them. If you like, look at my option number one is a sourdough loaf with just a different variation of flour mixture, basically. So I'm either focused like with, you know, if it's the spelt country bread or the Coruscant country, they're the main difference is just I'm putting a portion of spelt into one of them or a portion of Coruscant, and, and I'm focusing on that grain's flavor in a country style sourdough loaf of bread. And so I have probably twelve different, you know. Sourdough that. loaves that are just basically variations of the flour that I want to show off in the loaf of bread. So is that is that what makes or breaks a bread? Is a good flour base, or what's like the key? I don't know anything about making bread. I'm gonna be honest. I feel like 
during COVID, that became a really popular yeah, thing. Sourdough, Everybody was making dude. sourdough bread. I almost, I almost got almost. into that bandwagon. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always tell people the most important thing, or at least serious bakers, the most important thing when it comes to sourdough baking is having a healthy culture. Because an unhealthy culture will raise bread, but then you'll have issues and it'll have different tastes. You could, and, and how you feed your starter and what you feed your starter and the temperature you keep it will promote different qualities like that bread that i was trying to fix in lolita bakery because we did certain things that were maybe like i guess you could call them wrong it was a super sour sourdough bread which i actually don't care for but a lot of people strangely like seek it in this world because i think of i guess in san francisco like the classic san francisco sourdough is quite tangy i, I didn't grow up with it but uh and a lot of the stuff that you find nowadays that's emulate you know a lot of the stuff that you'll find now that, that is that old style of san francisco sourdough seems to be more like plastic baggy type of stuff. So I don't even know if it's like what it once was long ago when bakers were actually doing right, the work. Right. But even like my other buddy that bakes around here, he he wants some more sour sourdough loaf. They're into the tang. I'm kind of into the the balance of cultured flavor, but the deep sweetness coming from, you know, using the culture to break down all the sugar that's in the flour and getting that balance. And then as you can see, I'm a crust guy. So I want crusts, not, not blonde, not squishy crust crunch and yeah that's that's me and do you keep your starter just going right that's the thing where you just maintain the starter for it's, however many years you want to keep it alive you can keep it going forever how how old it is is a, a myth as to how good your starter is because once you build a starter if you were to start from scratch basically all it is is the mix of flour and water eventually there's bacteria and yeast, all that start doing their thing. The dominant ones, if you continue to like feed it properly, the dominant yeast will win. The dominant bacteria will find its home and they'll propagate. Usually it takes about two weeks to get to like a stable, good, healthy sourdough culture. If you follow, you know, these basic rules, temperature changes the timing of it all. Um, assuming you're going with typical room temperatures. Then once it's stable, every day that you have it, even if you keep feeding it perfectly, the balance of bacteria and yeast will continue to like shift. And in some ways that balance right there, when it's just, you know, become like a, a healthy starter after maybe two to four weeks. And it's like, it's prime. It's the amount of bacteria to yeast. So it won't be super sour, but then some people will put their sourdoughs into their fridge. Then the yeast eventually kind of like goes to sleep and dies and the bacteria takes over. So the next time you take it out, you take a piece and feed it and it'll have stuff in it. You can bring it back, but the balance of the culture will be so different. Multiple feedings will help bring it sort of back, but you once it changes, it's it kind of never. It's almost it's very hard to bring it back to that perfect balance that you're looking for. So regular feedings at room temperature will kind of do the best to keep it sweet and and in good health essentially. And that's how you can change if it's more sour or not. Is that bacteria yeast and ratio. temperature? The and well temperature. Th that that sour I'm talking about is almost like a and you know some people might retard their set their culture to get it intentionally, but uh, the sour that I'm talking about, if you want a good sour, you'd control it with like heat. Um, heat while you're baking it. Uh, the dough. Okay. No, what like the actual holding the dough at like apparent like that that San Francisco recipe I talk about. So the breads I'll make, I'll I'll. I'll I'll mix the dough with culture in it and I'll let it sit for a few hours at room temperature, kind of around 80 degrees or so, which is if you look at a chart that shows like the growth of lactobacillus uh, bacteria, I know we're getting nerdy now. And then the yeast at the same time, around 80 degrees Fahrenheit is where they'll kind of cross a point where they're reproducing at the same rate. So a lot of us like that as like a, a dough point to 
build cultured flavor and also get the yeast going. If you exceed that, though, you'd think, you know, the yeast keeps, it gets higher and higher and the lack, the, the bacteria does, but a few degrees later, the yeast, the yeast dies off, but the bacteria continues to propagate at a higher level. So what I read was that that old San Francisco sourdough, they made the dough and brought it out at like that 90 some odd degree, really, really warm so that the bacteria was multiplying at a much faster rate than the yeast. So before the dough is ready to be shaped, you produce that much more acid in the dough, which is why you'd get more of a tang, essentially. Okay. So there's, that's, one, that's one way to manipulate a dough towards more of a tang or less of a tang. Yeah, so. Do you maintain your starter? Do you like to start, you maintain it? Yeah, I have a wheat starter and a rye starter that I pretty much, if I'm not baking, I feed them once a day. If I'm baking, I feed them twice a day. They're like, you know, this much, you know, 100 grams of each. That I just keep, you know, a lot of people don't like to throw away the discard. That's part of the reason they don't, they'll like, they prefer to put it in the fridge so that there's less waste. Just what it is. And when you say, it's funny hearing you say feed it because you're feeding the bacteria. Is, are you just adding in more flour? That's what you're feeding it with? If I or take water, like three grams this morning, I took three grams of my wheat starter and then I took the other hundred you know, grams of starter and threw it in the garbage. And I left three grams in there and I added some water and then I added the i feed it a little white and wheat flour and then i stiff it it mixed it up into a dough ball that's 100 grams again and it was like so it was like it's a firm i do a firm starter instead of a liquid starter so it'll look like a piece of firm dough and then that'll sit for 12 hours and rise again and then i could just keep doing that and then when it's like dough day i could take that little bit and instead of throwing that bit out in the morning i'll propagate it and just feed the whole thing to make it four times as much and then later that evening when i have to do all the builds to feed the hundred and some odd loaves of bread i'll i'll build that into further and then once i'm done i could go back to keeping just a little piece again and you do that just with the sourdough and the wheat uh well, in any of the breads that i write naturally leavened on the bottom that's a, my way of saying it's sourdough because sourdough kind of has like its own um sourdough is a type of bread to some people in this world and so it's, it's almost speaking i don't i don't want to so many of my breads are made sourdough, so I call it naturally leavened if I write it down. So any of my breads that, where it says naturally leavened, it means I'm using just culture, no commercial yeast to do all of the leavening. Huh. And then I use commercial. I'm not against commercial yeast. It's okay, that's breads. what I was going to ask. The other that... breads, a lot of the breads that I have, have commercial yeast in, though, I'll have both. So I'll mix. use culture and a little bit of yeast, but I like the lightness and the predictability of adding the yeast, and it's less sour. Can you tell a difference in the taste if you use a commercial? You can. Oh, yeah. I, th I think so. You could tell like a foca. I mean, there, you could do really. It's much, much harder to make naturally leavened or sourdough things that are as light as a yeasted thing. Unless you're like, you need, that's when you get to that. Like, like, have you ever had panettone? I don't think so. I won't say the name of the person that, the, the company that does it because I don't really want to, um, start some shit no i just no he, he they're made they're amazing at what they do i just don't want to i don't want to advertise for them they're they're a very giant company at this point so i don't want to share oh, about so they don't need it no they don't need it but it's super expensive but it's it's a food like i'd say in the past 10 years it's one of the foods that i've had that has been the most mind-blowing food to eat because most of the panettone like go to costco and they'll have like an eight dollar tin of like really dry disgusting panettone which is why most of us are like well, i don't know what panettone is right but if you have the real stuff they have something that they call masa madre where they'll basically make this really firm starter so a lot of us keep our starters where it's like equal weights water and flour so when they make the masa madre it'll be half 
the amount of water to flour so it's like super dry dough and then they'll wrap it in a piece of cloth and then they'll tie it in a rope and this is to i think avoid i i, I don't do this because it's so there's so many complex moving parts to making ponotone the right way i don't have a laboratory i don't want to get deeply invested into it but i i find it interesting so that has to be fed like i forget how many times but at a certain temperature that's warm and it will remove the acid from the starter basically but give you a ton of cultured flavor and a ton of yeast to help raise a loaf of bread and then it's a really really like there's tons of eggs I know there's tons of eggs. I don't know if there's milk or cream in it, but there's tons of eggs and tons of butter. And then usually their classic inclusions are like candied fruit and raisins, but they could do it a million ways from Sunday. And then it'll go into like a, a paper liner that's like, you know, round like this. And the, if the dough's down here, when it starts, it'll rise to like here before it even goes in the oven. And then it'll spring. So you end up with this piece of dough that like quadruples. And then when it comes out of the oven, it's so fragile that they have to hang, they hang them upside down while they cool so that, until it's complete this otherwise it'll just collapse and then once it's cool you can have it and the way it eats is like when it's done right and it's all sourdough there's no not an, i mean it can be made both ways but when it's done the classic way it's done with just sourdough that was manipulated perfectly and it's so there's not much else if you like sweet stuff there's not much else like it it's it's pretty amazing i'm gonna have to try that yeah yeah you're i'm gonna i'll, I'll tell you where to get you know we'll yeah we'll, we'll talk after yeah, 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 yeah we'll yeah. talk after <laughs> i mean i guess i yeah i don't want to plug them nope can't do it it's it pretty good home. yeah it's better than pretty good yeah usually bread is just i have a problem with bread i can i can just go to town on a loaf of bread even if it's just sourdough with some olive oil and balsamic vinegar i'm gonna eat until they carry me out of there that means it's good bread yeah but it, even if it's crappy bread you can eh, get store-bought right. sourdough <laughs> and i'm just i'm just gonna keep if it's good bread that's even worse. Another level. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. then you just, you can't stop. And yeah. then your food comes and you're like, I'll just have the bread. Just box this up for me. My family's known from back in the day when they used to give you the bread basket on the table asking for, like, cat, like annoying the waitresses because they'd come and be gone. And then come again and then be gone. And they'd be like, really? You know, it'd be like five baskets later. We're finally good on the... And that's why there's no free bread baskets probably in most of the world yeah, anymore. So. I would buy that. That's my family's the same way. Everywhere we go. Texas Roadhouse, where they have that cinnamon bread. Have you ever tried that? I haven't. It's a it's like a cinnamon and bread they and then they you? have a cinnamon butter. Yeah. Okay. And they'll bring five. And then we've gotten into trouble a couple of times because we'll be eating our entrees, still, still ordering <laughs> bread, and the waitress just disappeared. She's like, uh, we're not going back to this table. Yeah, you guys I'm don't need any more bread. Yeah. Eat your food. Get out of here. Sure. But it's just good bread is it's on it's another level life dude yeah yeah it's happiness i agree i it's i couldn't get off of it if i needed to yeah i yeah. want you now i want you to have my bread i'm gonna have to try it yeah <laughs> your pictures are insane do you attribute a lot of being able to do it kind of how you're doing it to like instagram and social media because that's your big branding part right it's going through that medium yeah i'm totally not into like marketing and the typical routes of business, but Instagram's just been the way that I've been able, it, I, it just kind of happened. I didn't do it intentionally. It just sort of, I started sharing what I was doing on there while I did it. People showed a little interest and it was a place to show, you know, at least on Instagram, you could like hashtag Arcata this way. It's like, maybe the locals will actually, because in the beginning when I started, it was like, how do I tell people I'm doing what I'm doing? And then like recently I was just in the Lost Coast Outposts, which is probably where you heard. That's how we, yeah, right? we found you. And I mean, I'm telling you, I've done this for, this is the sixth year of me doing it out of my house. And I've been selling out for, for the better part of those years already. I'm busy, 
since the loco but the loco outpost article definitely made it known that a lot of people did not know who i was because there's a, a new influx of uh wonderful people interested in trying so that's why i'd love to find the way to grow because i cannot keep up i could just do what i could do and hopefully they'll you know take turns getting what they can get it's because there's no there's no more room really so but yeah. that's a good place to be in where the demand is just so high it's like sorry guys if you don't get bread it's this humbling week. yeah uh, well no I, people say that and 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 i agree but i hate i have to say no so much and uh that's hard yeah and even to like like you know someone came the other day and they ordered you know two scotty's italians and I, i'm weird the way i you know if you order a sourdough loaf and i have focaccia is another option I mean, you could always ask for whatever you want. If someone else doesn't ask for it, you'll you can have twenty five loaves of bread. But I'm gonna spread the wealth, you know, to the best of my ability. So if you ask for four focaccia, the odds are just like your odds are slim because that's ten percent of the focaccia that I'm probably making, and everyone else wants one. So, and if someone else that's buying a, a loaf of sourdough wants to add a focaccia to their, it would it would be sad to not give them a loaf of focaccia and let you have three of them. But any anywho, some people struggle with how I like kind of they want what they want when they want it and like and i totally can understand and i don't have to wait in my line or do what i do for my product but i can understand wanting what you want when you want it so it's it's a hard place to be it's cool that i sell out and everyone's interested but i wish i could say yes to everyone and get everyone the things that they want because saying no some people really struggle with hearing the getting a no some yeah people a lot of people really really like struggle, that. and then they're like it's actually like sometimes like how they feel about who i am because they feel like i'm like gatekeeping your they, they're holding it against me that i just said i just don't have any more bread I'm, I'm so sorry it's booked out there's nothing i could do about it or like i gave you one but i couldn't give you two and then you could you could feel the disappointment sometimes so yeah well you're just one guy i mean if, like you said if somebody's ordering five loaves of bread and you're like i gotta spread the love to everybody that's trying to get some bread and to the best of my ability i mean at some point yeah so that's the struggle of it all is that I want everyone to get what they want. And I really can't think of a better, I'm not going to change the way my business works right now. Cause it works. So hopefully going forward, everyone can find a little bit of satisfaction. You know, I had a regular customer like miss out recently because of this influx. And she was all, you could tell she was pretty disappointed and I felt bad. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I was like, I'm booked like so solid. There's not a low for you. And she's like, is everyone else just ordering when you post your bird video? Is that what I'm supposed to do? And I'm like, no, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. So she was like, and she hasn't ordered since. And she was, and I don't know, I don't know if that ties together with why she's not ordering, but I, I'm pretty sure I lose customers because of it at the same time, because they don't want to deal with it. Again, I get it. Totally fair. But it sucks. But it sucks because I want them to have, their I want to share. Not, I don't even necessarily want their business. I want them to be able to have what it is they make because I make it because I want people to eat it. I want people to eat good food. You, the, there's nothing that'll make a sandwich better than better bread to build that sandwich on. So. I was reading some of the comments, I think, from that Lost Coast article, and people were in there upset that, great, now he's going to be sold out. We're not going to get any bread. That's my regulars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which, what, I mean, what are you going to do? It's good that you're getting out there. I mean, I'm sure you're appreciative of that. I am. And then, like you said, the customer aspect is, hey, I didn't get bread this week because you sold out. What the hell? It's just a challenge. Hopefully mellows ho out. Hopefully it mellows out. Plus right now I'm like, usually I'd bake one and a half time. Usually I'd bake like every other Tuesday, but I'm just trying to keep up with stolen right now. It's a, uh, they're just buying it fast. There's, they're just buying it so much faster that I'm making my Tuesdays the day so I can make the stolen, 
Whereas normally I just like squeeze one in. Plus I, I just don't have the time to, I used to be like, all right, I'll do that on the weekend and then I'll go right into baking. And, the, and, and, I, and I've had friends and family be like, you need to like, you need to take time for yourself and, and relax. So trying to not work too hard. What is your current schedule? So you post what it's going to be on Tuesday, Thursdays or orders. So usually if, if it's a regular week, usually how it works outside of stolen season. Like, so during the regular year, usually my bake days are Tuesday and Friday. And I'll post the day before each on Instagram and on Facebook. And then if you really don't do social networking, I offer uh, a text message, but that'll come after I've posted on Instagram and Facebook. So you might miss out. And people do. And they're like, I just sent it right back. I'm like, yeah, but the note's been up for 30 minutes and it's gone. I don't know. I don't, I can't help. Anywho. But if they really don't want to do the social networking, that's fine. And I'll put them on my text list as long as they're going to be buying bread somewhat regularly. Cause I, it's not a, an app. I do it you know, one person at a time, copy and paste, because I, I used to use an app and then too many of the text messages would fail. So it's just not worth uh, doing, you know, setting it all up only to have it not work. So I just copy and paste for 20 minutes while I'm waiting on dough and then get back to work. So, and then, but anyway, so post what I'm baking breadwise on Monday and Thursday, the pickups the following day between four and 6 p.m. at my house in Arcata. If you order, I'll tell you where I live, the few different ways that you can pay. When you pick up, I usually have like pastries or some sort of add-on goodies that you can add to your bread order. You can't come and get pastries and or the add-on things if you haven't ordered bread because there's not enough. It's for the people that have placed an order that, you know, for that day. And then now that there's Sugar School coffee, there's often some fresh roasted coffee as well. And then Which is a great combo. Everything bread, grab yeah. some coffee. Yep. So if I get to this little commercial residential place, part of it would be to put the roastery in there maybe a little espresso bar, but it would be like a slow bar. So it wouldn't be open just like everything else. I said, it wouldn't be a, like, you wouldn't go there five days a week. It might be open a couple days a week and it would be to showcase some of the coffees we have going at the time. So, and how many loaves of bread are you doing on a typical bake day? It used to be 80 to hundred on each, but since I'm not doing the Tuesdays, I've been doing the, like, you know, big batch of stolen and I've been pushing my Friday bake to like, the most I've ever been about 150 loaves lately. I've been doing on fr that's just on Fridays. That's a lot of bread. Yeah, that's a lot of bread. One sixth of uh, the leading bakery in the area does it a day with a full staff. Really? Or at least when I used to work for some leading bakery in the area. Is your is your biggest hang up equipment like having a bigger oven or a bigger fridge? Time, space, hands. I have a very small. I mean, my home is small too, but like. I'd need, if I wanted to do more bread, I'd need another oven, which I could get, but there's so little space in my house. I, and I kind of promised myself, we don't add another oven until we have a, like, better venue to have another oven at. So I've been kind of like, I was really close to, like, making the move pre-pandemic. I'm glad the one thing that almost happened didn't happen. But, uh, and then the pandemic had me just basically, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I got busier because of the pandemic. So I just stuck with what I did. <laughs> I thought I thought my business was going to kind of like semi fall apart because I didn't know how people would respond, but it actually made more people come. So well, it worked out for you because you didn't have this physical restaurant style place where which would be is, shut down, which I did that, and and people were stoked to not have to go into a building with a bunch of other people and stop at someone's home, which was outside. At the worst, you're on a line with people in the outdoors. Um, for a moment, like as soon as it happened, I had to like. Because people used to come, people used to come and actually walk into my house, and I'd set all the pastries up on my counter, and the bread would be on the rack, and they'd come in. What? And but as soon as the pandemic happened, I was like, "All right, we got to make a change." And I put a board up, 
And I was like, I'm going to bring your bread to you and tell you what I have, and I'm never going back. We'll just keep it that way where they can come outside, you know. And yeah, it's better than having eat. people come into your house. I, and little did I know. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd much rather not have every single person that's coming to pick up bread come inside anymore. Not that I don't want them to see the bakery, but it was, uh, I was like, oh, it's better better on the the traffic through my home. So, yeah. So Do you like that split where you live yes. in your business, basically? I just wish I had a bigger home. But, other, I mean, that's You want to keep it that style. That would be the mixed-use thing of where you could still live there and work there. Otherwise, if I go start a business that I own, I'm going to end up spending 60 to 80 hours a week in a different space while I have a home over here. And if my dog can't be where I'm working, then my dog with it, like everything about life would work out better if I could live right next door to where I baked. And at the same time, that would make it so I could hire less people. Because if I'm right next door and there's like little tasks that need to be done, I can go home, do some stuff, come back and do it instead of needing someone to like be there to do things for i'll i'll just go do them <laughs> you know yeah, you're not 30 minutes away you gotta commute. I just go in and out then and then like i could live i could run in there and be like i'm gonna go bust out some pie dough because we got to do this thing but then i could go back and live my life and then you know yeah definitely love little did i know how much i love being with my bakery but yeah definitely want to continue that whether it be like a huge house that has a place that could be a bakery or a a storefront that has a you know a living space that's above one way or the other though that's 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 the new dream so is it hard to maintain a balance with that where you do live in your business of nah, trying I, to I live keep in a, a personal life yeah <laughs> no i mean i i have a person you well know, i'm 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 happy with my life but there's definitely a i i feel like maybe i would enjoy it if i had more space and the bakery was a little bit you know when i walk into my kitchen i'm in the bakery like 10 feet which is 10 feet out of i live in a very i live in a mother-in-law unit so it's a small spot so you know i walk out of my bedroom i walk out and boom you're at work kind of which is fine i'm okay with that but yes it would be cool if like maybe it was like in the garage and then like i can actually have my personal home kitchen that doesn't scream you're already at work which could be like a little bit of a more of a i mean i love my kitchen i sit there and have coffee but it might be a little it might be a little bit more pleasant to me as like a for my personal space, I suppose. I don't know, I've been doing this for so long. I'm just used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, six years. I mean, you're in it. I live you're in, in it. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm a ball of flour. It's not a bad thing to be. Nope. Yeah, I I like that. I like that structure because I'm I'm basically here 24 seven as well. Doing so it's same. just yeah, you just it's just easier than having to go somewhere to go to work because you're right there. It's inefficient. Yeah. That came out of the pandemic too. Look at all the people that are like, I never, I didn't need to go. At, even wealthy people, like, what were we doing driving to an office? Yeah, and how many we're people so don't want to go back to and that? No, now. nobody does. And I'm, and I, I, I bet the same thing as some of those chefs too that realized they were on the line, but they could have been, even though they might not be making the fanciest dishes that are being coveted by wealthy people and you know getting the praise, they might be stoked making smash burgers for themselves that people love in their community, and they get to work for themselves. You know. And maybe hire their friend and not not be under some like chef that you know or person that has nothing to do with the kitchen that just tells you what to do. I, I assume there's a lot of that going on, and not have to work that standard nine to five of you got to be here oh, at this time. If you're a chef or a cook, you're always working. You're married That's to it. The big thing, right, is you're working long hours. You got constantly. Love it. It's just got to be what you. It's got to be what you want to be, not just what you want to like do for a living. It's got to be what you want to be, and if it doesn't. Maybe that's true in all professions, but uh, if it doesn't, you might want to do something else and make it a hobby and enjoy it. Because if you, if you just want it to be the hobby, getting into the work is not the same thing. It's a different type of... Uh, it's all it's consuming. Different. 
you got to give it everything. Or at least I do. There's different personalities from, and I found that, but I find this with other people. It like, it, it consumes us. It's just like, yeah, I have a good buddy that works at local. He's worked at a couple local places. And when I'm like, just do what they tell you to do. They don't pay, you know, I'm like, they don't pay you enough to like just design these things for him. He's like, yeah, but it's, it's so hard to not do something better. And I can totally relate to how he feels. And I feel like that's how a lot of chefs feel, even though they're, even when they're like, you should be paying me more, they'll still go, they'll still go do that next level thing because, because they fucking love what they're doing. Part of my French. No, you can cuss on here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think that's just a, a passion drive that when you find the one thing that you really want to do, you will give it what yes. it takes. I think so. I mean, you're doing this because this is, I'm imagining this is your passion, right? It would suck if I didn't like this. You would I mean, be a yeah, terrible, would be, you'd be terrible be and you'd miserable. have to be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to enjoy interviewing and learning about people and you set up your studio to have a studio. You didn't go rent the studio somewhere else. You made it happen. So I don't know. You find your, your deep passion. I think uh, friend, you, you, when you remove your friends from your life to do what you love is like kind of a, you know, I, I can't remember. I keep seeing this video in my head where it's a guy, he's a chef. He's like, basically i don't have any friends anymore because i basically took on this career and i've been doing this thing and he's like but i it's what i do he's like and i'm not gonna you could see that it was hurting and but at the same time there was no way he would leave it i've done the same i don't know why we do it <laughs> it's a double-edged sword yeah a little bit because you you find this thing that you love and it comes at such a cost but you love it so it's your it's what makes you be you know it makes you you i guess so. And how do you not do that thing when you find it? How do you not? I've had partners and friends in the past that were always so jealous of me know that I knew what I, they would always be so upset that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Once I found baking, I was like, no, no, no. I know bakers don't make money, but I'm going to go open a bakery. This is, this is exactly what I want. And I've known I wanted to do this for quite some time. A bunch of them would be like sort of disappointed that I like, or not disappointed. They'd just be jealous. They're like, I don't know what I, I'm like. Well, go find a path. You, you got to find your find what you love, and then you know, do what you love and love what you do. Otherwise, you'll be disappointed, is my guess. Or maybe money will do it for you. I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's a weird. The passion thing is so weird because some people don't want to sacrifice to even try to find one. They get into that shitty job or that nine to five, and they're it's just this realm of comfort it's where at least they know what, yeah, at least they know what's going to happen. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to go to work. And I don't have a, to worry about losing my job. And if you have a family and a mortgage or, you know, things that need to happen or you're thinking about retiring and you're like, this is what I went to school for. This is what I should be doing. But it's like, do you sucking, like it? But it's sucking my soul. Yeah, exactly. Like, but are you gaining? Cause you don't live for the money that you'll, you know, that will be in your bank account when you die so like what are you living your life for is the real that's different for everyone i guess some people want to be rich or you know some people people's the way people measure their success is different i'm pretty happy with what i'm doing i just want to slowly grow it into this next thing and i can see then i'd be pretty stoked i don't think i'd need you know hope maybe some projects here and there but i'd be pretty stoked on what we had I mean, my dream is like this space where there's my bakery, room for like a gluten-free bakery, room for a fishmonger, room for a butcher, room for a beer brewer, a coffee roaster, all this big building where there's plenty of space for all these things. The center has an open space for a like 
ongoing farmers market for all the farmers from the nearby area to have a place to just not have to have these organized farmers markets but a place where they could pay dues this, this building that gives them access to just say then they can jump on instagram hey, i got a bunch of these veggies come on down to the to the market and then one spot would be an open kitchen that could be for pop-ups that we could then like talk to chefs from you know in, in in san francisco and say hey you want to get away to a cool place and like work on new menu items we rent our kitchen here we can even set it up and organize it so there's a pop-up dinner just i know it's crazy but that's my that's i think my, that'd be sweet especially in Arcata. huge like endeavor that i it's not something i could do on my own it would probably take so much money to actually put together but it would be this culinary like powerhouse of a building that would be what you'd have everything they could all work together everyone would be rubbing everyone's back the bakery that would be there would and then someone would go to the butcher right next door you do all your stuff you can stop going to the supermarket i don't know it's the well you're wor- i mean you're working towards that right you got the coffee we do little parts of it yeah, yeah i don't know if i want to be a butcher and all that stuff but you don't have to do it all yourself <laughs> yeah, i'll find someone else to do those other parts exactly find someone that's been doing it doing like making you know really nice salamis and stuff for 25 years and put them in there using some of our local meats and stuff like that and we'd we'd have a fun little spot so why do you want to do that that idea of helping everybody out in one spot is that just because you know how cutthroat the business can be or hmm i don't know i think it's just there's something beautiful about that idea to me bringing like the craft end of all of it into like one space where i don't know there's just something I love food. I like like my. I, you know, I think my favorite thing to do is eat, you know, and maybe see like a fish show. <laughs> so, but eating is definitely like my leading thing to do. So I feel like that would make for a better culinary playground in the area. But again, I, do we have anything like? I don't. We don't have anything like that. I don't have anything that, that even exists like that. But well. Eh like the ferry building and stuff like that but that's even more bigger than what i'm thinking i'm thinking something a little bit more focused but you know they have all those different parts down there in the ferry building so someone it came to me after someone talked to me about like starting a a a tea house that did like you know true like ritual tea settings like they got a couple and there's one like in boulder and one in new york i was like i don't think that would work around here but i feel like this would work and then if you wanted to have like a little tea room that would actually work in that same space so well, I feel like the support for local business here is pretty strong. Oh, yeah. And local sourced food. All, all of it. So I feel like it would be, I feel like if the hub, if this, this thing happened, I feel like it would be totally supported by the community and people would be into all the different parts of it. So just building that out. That's, finding that's someone that project. believed in the same idea and someone that had the skill sets to say, we could grow this together and then put the businesses in place. And it'd be pretty cool. So, anyway. and is the, is the phase before that that's where the pizza and those other pastries come in that's what you're kind of leaning i want my new space to be the place that was basically like had all of that so i'd probably if i grew and it was the way that i see it right now i'd probably continue baking bread a couple days a week i'd probably be able to bake more i would i would imagine i'd be able to you know i'd have more oven and i could probably do slightly more numbers and then i might do like minimal bread on those other days that i was open but i wouldn't do the full you know line maybe the other days i would just do like dinner breads and stuff like that focaccias and and baguettes but i think i'd have an open case of focaccia sandwiches that i did like on a regular basis if one a baker in italy that is an inspiration to probably all of us is bonchi and the bar of if you ever go watch videos of it he's just got a bar of all these different like topped focaccia 
sandwich type things that I feel like something similar would be such a great place to go for lunch. And, you know, one day it might be, you know, if it's tomato season, it might just be just might be tomatoes and a little bit of basil. But then there might be some like nice cured meats on a different one. There might be eggplant. Who knows? But all those maybe a specialty sandwich. And then I'd probably bust out pizza nights. I'd imagine I do pizza at least a couple nights a week. But I don't know that I'd be like a regular pizzeria where it was like, okay, we do pizza between this hour and this hour. Come look at our case. Plus, I like making different styles of pizza. So one night it might be, yeah, we're doing pizza tonight. It's New York style. And then another night I may be, I'm going to do like, deep, like grandma pies or I'm going to do Sicilian, even, even deep dish pies. And then, you know, just kind of change things up and hope that they're all still interested in eating whatever it is I am in the mood to make for them. I'm hoping that I can keep being good at what I do that. So if I just share, they'll want, there'll be enough people that want to come and eat basically. Is that how you pick what breads you bake? Now is just kind of what you're in the mood to cook. Yeah. I go through like the list. There's sort of like a balance. Certain ones get handled in a certain way where I can only pick like X amount from this section and X amount from this selection. But then the mix needs to be like, there needs to be a whole or grain bread. There needs to be a sourdough bread. Usually it's nice to have at least one rye bread. Sometimes a lot of people like square bread. So having one square, you know, there's certain blend of it, but then within that, I just kind of picked from my mix, but I'll have like a date of the last time I made it. So I'm kind of cycling through. through there's a, you know, if there was those 80 loaves, I'll bet like 30 of those 80 loaves. I don't make often at all. And then the rest of them are kind of in this endless cycle throughout my, uh, throughout my kitchen. And then I always make new stuff. And then some of them, I realize that, you know, I don't come back to you and I'm like, okay, I'll just leave you there. We'll do another one. What's your most popular bread? I think I'm most well reputable for the focaccia. Everyone speaks of my focaccia quite quite a bit. Um, my favorite breads are my sourdough breads, or I guess I guess I said all of them are sourdough breads. I like my number my like my favorite bread is probably not my favorite, but one of my favorite breads is the pan majeur. Um, I always say it's like if I had a last, you know, if I could have one loaf of bread for the rest of my life. That'd probably be the one I chose, but then you know I, I like the focaccia and ba and I love me a fresh baguette. They all they all have their, their they all have they all have their per yeah. Like if I made you a sandwich on a baguette, it would be one thing, but if I made you a sandwich on a focaccia, it would be something else. And if I made you a sandwich on sourdough, it would be even something different. That's why I always say like your bread can make your make or break your sandwich. So now, are you pretty handy in a kitchen outside of baking? Like, can you cook pretty well? I can cook. Does that skill translate? Like, if you can make bread, you could handle yourself in a kitchen? Usually, if you want, usually, if you get to the level where you're a good bread baker, you probably enjoy cooking and do enough of it where you've built some of the skill sets to cook. And I've always liked cooking, savory too. I probably, you know, I started cooking savory food before I started baking, but I never, I worked in one savory, I worked at a, I've worked in a couple of savory restaurants, but like before I moved out here, I went to my last job I was working for a bar, I got really into like barbecue when it got real trendy back in when I was like finishing right before I went to culinary school. And it was a day where this guy was, a he opened it. He was a wall street dude that decided to retire because he had many millions of dollars and he used to do pastry. So he bought the whole thing, built the barbecue restaurant, hired me to just do desserts. But within a few months, I was like the head chef ish. There wasn't really a head chef, but I was doing all the barbecue smoking. And the other guy that knew more than me was, uh, this guy, Philly, I'll never forget him, but he was in culinary school. So we knew that in a couple months he was going back to school. And when he left, I was like the one that knew, pretty much knew how to do all this stuff. And I had never worked in a restaurant. And uh, it was his fault that I decided to, to quit and go to culinary school because one day he basically 
he like turned on me. He wanted me to be like deep into his business, but I don't think it was succeeding for him really well. And then at, at one point I, I think I said something that probably got, which I'm, you know, I'm sure it was my fault, but got him the wrong way and I could feel it. And he started cutting my hours. So I basically said, what's the deal? And he basically told me if I wanted a job, this is what he had. And he handed me a list to go do his like inventory. I was like, no, no, so I do all. And so, you know, so I just left. And uh, that was the day I decided to call up the culinary school and sign up for the program and say, all right, time to like make the next big plunge into the culinary world to be a pastry chef, really know what we're doing, and, and then move back to California and open a bakery. And I did, I guess. Or at least, um, you know, we could say I'm like four-fifths of the way there, right? I think you did. <laughs> it's interesting how you have those little, those little forks. Where you could have zigged and you zagged. Oh yeah, you I could have been deep in the. Way. Who knows? I could have been deep into the you know, barbecue world. And the next thing you know is the lat the rest of my dessert making for life is just making like desserts for a restaurant. And then, but you know, more focused on because barbecue, I was into it because you can get real technical with how to smoke the meats and stuff like that. So that was that was cool too. It still is, but I and barbecue is great. Come yeah, on, yeah, yeah, good barbecue, yeah. Is so good. Oh, coming, that was a fun job going into the pork butts coming out of the smoker and like being able to eat the bark off the fresh and yeah good stuff um yeah i like i don't think i could cook i would if i were if i went and worked at a restaurant i would easily be 500 pounds i i don't think i could get by you end up not eating from the just the workload you're just busy but you i'd find a way to eat yeah i think think i'd find a way to eat yeah it's definitely not the healthiest um not the healthiest job to have in the world so well, unless you work at McDonald's, I think I would be fine working there. I don't think I really eat the food. I sadly, the McRib's back. I don't eat. I haven't had McDonald's in. I don't know how long. Probably fifteen plus years. Don't eat fast food anymore. You know, Humboldt changed, changed me all the way. But like, we we had to try it. Let's go see what a McRib tastes. Let's just, just what. Let's go see what the McRib tastes like now. Man, McDonald's is not good. I hope, I hope you don't get it. McDonald's is something far worse than I knew <laughs> in my mind that I thought it was. I thought it was like terrible for us, but still sort of had that weird. This tastes good to it. It doesn't have any of the weird. It tastes good to it at all. It's it's just all trash. Or maybe I've just grown so far away from it. I, I feel like it's different, but maybe I'm just such a different person at this point that. Uh, I mean, the last time I went home to New York, I went to like my childhood bakery to get my new york rye i was like i'll bring it back so people know what like i developed my new york rye within mind and i was like when i took a slice of it i was like this is terrible it doesn't remind me of what i ate as a kid but is is it what i ate as a kid and i'm just like i've gone past that i'm not really sure could the bread could have changed but uh yeah that was a fun experience uh, last week with mcdonald's so you don't need to go find out you don't need to go look into it i don't nah. think i've ever had to make rib I'm definitely not I going to after it. talking about this. <laughs> I loved I'm it. Not a, a long time ago, the McRib was like, you don't remember the story of the McRat? I know that it was huge, that people loved the McRib, and then they yeah. took it away. And then it became like, you know, the the occasional, you know, they busted out for, what, two months a year, a month a year, or something like that every year. But I've never been inc- inclined to go try it recently. Someone, yeah, it just happened. We did it, and it was like, we took one bite. We both took one bite, and that was like, we did not eat anymore. And I watched someone else do a review on Instagram recently. They did the same. They're like, nope. Oh, no. Someone did that with Costco pizza. That's what it was. Because they were doing, like, reviews on nice pizza. And they're like, everyone keeps asking me if I had Costco pizza. I've ne-. I was like, maybe it's a Cal- California seems to like a lot of uh, really, really bad pizza. So maybe it's a California thing. I slipped into that. I was in, I went to school in New York for a little bit. And there was this one pizza shop. 
and the pizza wasn't good. <laughs> but I kept ordering it. Like every few weeks, I would order that pizza because it was bad, but there was, was something about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know, two a.m. on Saturday, yeah, you yeah, order yeah. up this pizza. It sucks, but it's satisfying. There's something smarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get something out of that pizza, even though it's I... just not. It's not good pizza. Yeah, I think I find that more like a frozen pizza than I do some of the cheap. But there's, there's, you know. It's, everyone's got to find their own little guilty pleasures in life, right? So, when you, so you lived in New York. Where in New York were you living? I was born in a town called Yorktown, about an hour north of New York's well, an hour no- north of like you know the center of New York City, so Upper Westchester County. And how old were you when you did that road trip? I had just finished colors or just finished school in Morrisville, so I was probably like nineteen. And this was a cross country in a van. No, yeah. I had a little a little course ago, but I was like going and I all I, I broke up with the first you know girl of my life, and I was like the world's over. Maybe I won't go to SUNY Plattsburgh, and I'll just go you know run away on fish tour. And I went and saw like as many fish shows as you could possibly see. That that was probably most I saw in like one summer. And then once the fish was done for the summer, I was like, well, Ezo just moved out to Colorado. Let's like maybe I'll go visit him in my car and just kind of like go go check out colorado and my good friend angela came with me and we just drove in my little corsica across the country we didn't have much money so we like you know slept in rest stops in my car and made it out there he stayed with him hung out with him for a couple days we went down to the grand canyon saw the grand canyon for the first time uh then we stopped and i I used my birthday gift for my parents on a hotel room because the Devils were in game six of the Stanley Cup final and could win the cup. So I paid. I, ha- I asked them to just get me a hotel room in the middle of, like, nowhere land so I could watch the game. They won the cup, so it was worth it. Totally worth it. And then, uh, and then we cruised back home. Eventually, shortly after, I moved out here to go to school, and shortly after, that girl followed me. And then, uh, but then I had to leave, so she followed me back. And, uh, and then... Slowly, I, you know, found the different places in New York to become a baker. And as soon as I, as soon as I left that, that, that barbecue job, I went to school and it's like literally the three days after school was done, four days after I got the graduation slip to school, I was driving back here. So this place hit you that hard. You knew oh, you I knew, I knew I was coming. Yeah. New York is like fast and the people are wonderful and they suck. I mean, I love them, but like, I I could never really, even with my really good friends, like as soon as I went to college the first time in upstate New York and came back, I already kind of like lost my fitting with that like tri-state area city type of, I was like, I didn't too slow for you guys. I don't want anything to do with this life, you know, going to the bars is, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a drinker. So like all of that didn't work for me. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the land of cannabis and Redwood redwoods where hippies belong and you know so i i knew i wanted to come back so and i did it my parents were like you sure you want to go back it didn't work last time i was like it'll be fine it's what i'm gonna go for my life and so and i've been here for i think this will be 17 years in march had you thought about leaving new york before you found humboldt like permanently no but like when i went to upstate new york to go to school like i never wanted to go home and i lived in like cow country i loved not being in like near the city and near New York as much as New York City is like if you want to go see your favorite band New York City is a great place to go see your favorite band you want to go eat and have a you know a few days or a week of New York's got it all or at least it did I haven't been back since you know pandemic but New York has all the fun things it's so much fun 
but to stay, I mean, because of when I was going to move back here, it was either ditch the car, move to the city, and jump into the New York City culinary world like baking scene, or move to California. So I chose California quickly. <laughs> and it was a good decision. Never looked back. No, I don't. I haven't, been, I, I haven't visited home in eight years now. I need to. Well, I'll, I was, I was going to go at the end of this year, but I'm dealing with some like uh, health stuff that's uh, got me slowed down. So as soon as I feel a little bit better, I'll go visit the fam. Yeah. Yeah. City life is something else. Fast. Yeah. They, people have different focus on what they're living for. It feel, I mean, I'm not trying to say I've got a better idea. I probably don't. But uh, I'm simpler than, like, that. I don't need all of that. Too much for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different way of living. I'm sure I could have done it. I feel like I had I made that different path choice, been a totally different human being right now. 15 years of living in the city would have, if it lasted that long, would have changed me into something else. Who knows what? Do most people in New York that are around the city do they stay around the city or do they move upstate more you've got a mix it's a mix there's the new york city diehards that like never want to leave and then there's the new york city people that find out once they leave that they don't have to be there anymore so but there are definitely those that are like they've just gotten so accustomed and a lot of them that move will move they could a lot of them that move will if they came to a place desolate like this would would die it's just not enough. Like that guy, that the, one of the dudes that went to me with in Morrisville, he's from downtown Manhattan. He just like could not hack Cowtown. He had to go move back home and be in the city. It was too slow for him. I'm like, oh, I'm surprised you can't like, like just love the fact that it's quiet. But you know, he was grow. He grew up with it. I couldn't imagine growing up in New York City. And I say the same thing to kids that grew up here in Arcade. I'm like, I couldn't imagine growing up around around here because this is a weird place to grow up too, especially like pre-legalized cannabis when it was like a crazy little like uh industry of i don't know you know what we have here so i couldn't imagine growing up in that in, in, i love them all but it's an interesting place to come up as a, as a kid i would imagine yeah i'm always fascinated when people come here and they just fall in love with it because when you grow up here you kind of take it for you, you take see, advantage of it i see a lot of the kids that grow up here they're like oh i hate that not hate it but they're like ready to go the parts that i came here for they don't want anything to do they can't you know weed who fight weed i'm like yeah well everywhere else like you back where i'm from like if you get seen with anything it's like not anymore but back when i moved here you can't you can't just smoke weed somewhere you get in trouble for it out here it's just like you're good and i knew i smoked i, I was just honest with myself it's something i do at least if i go there i won't have trouble with the law as far as like you know smoking a little bit of weed so yeah which I, how crazy is it that it's 2022 and that's still federally illegal i always talk about that whenever it comes up because it's just changing yeah it's but, still not quite there but it certainly seems to be it's it's like pretty interesting how it's changing right now not necessarily for the better though it seems it's an interesting it seems pretty uh corporate so i think the county just cut some, a lot of the taxes yeah right? some tax because they're struggling of course they are so when you tax the shit out of them yeah it's like, well what do you do i well, guess we'll cut some of the taxes and well when every all the other you know wealthy entities were just waiting to jump in on the on the party because they can afford it and then all the small people that have been doing it, i mean I, I i'm happy people tried getting me into that industry when i moved here i'm very happy i i didn't even you know go farther than just you know playing with scissors on the rare occasion while i had a bakery job happy 
I'm happy to be a connoisseur and not a worker in that industry. Yeah, you can enjoy it from a distance. Be like, yeah, I support you guys. I'm not going to get way, into dude. the field. Yeah, I want all the AAAs and all that swag. You're going to send it out to the other states or something. Like, send it to SoCal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how bad is L.A. right now? I've been hearing this. It's rough down there. Oh, post, yeah. Yeah, post-COVID, it's just... If it wasn't a shithole before, now it's kind of <laughs> now it's struggling. Oh, as far as like living, just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I haven't spent any time down. The only I've been down to SoCal once. I've been to wherever they do that festival in Indio. I saw a fish out there. Otherwise, I haven't been south of San Francisco very much at all. I just stay here. This is a good spot to be. I know. It's a good. I spot tell people to that be. they all think I'm crazy. I'm like, I just stay here. I'm, I love it here, dude. This is like the greatest place on earth. So. Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited for you, man. I'm I'm definitely excited to try some of that bread now. I'm gonna make it a point to bring you some the next yeah. time I bake. Yeah, we'll sure. have to we'll have to do this again. This was a hell of a lot of fun. Absolutely. Do you want to plug again where people can find you? How they can order bread? Where they go? Uh, you could always um, I guess check me out on Instagram. It's Josh Fox underscore bread underscore. On Facebook, it's Josh Fox bread. Or if I don't really want to share my phone number, I guess, on here. But yeah, well, yeah. if you go there, always... my phone number will be there for you. to. If you ever want to, like, text me or message me, you, you can certainly hit me up. And uh, it seems complicated to order bread for me, but it is not. It's simply see my order sheet, text me an order, come the next day, pick it up. We'll say hi. We'll say bye. You might get a cookie. And then we move on and we do it again. So, and everybody, even though some people don't, don't know it, anyone that wants to order bread for me is welcome. There's no, like, signing up. Or like being part of a club or it's no newsletter that you have to join. Anyone, if you could get the message that says text your order to this number and you do it and I have the bread, you're in. That's it. And order order right when it drops because it might sell out. I highly suggest ordering as quickly as you can and being open to trying different breads. Because if you're not set on just having one bread, your potential to actually not get shut out and in, in, increases. So when you order, say, hey, I want this bread. You know, if you're a pro, you'll order the bread you want or the breads you want. And then if you're a real pro, you'll write, if for some odd reason they aren't available, but these are, I'll take them instead this way. Because if you wait until I tell you they're sold out and then I tell you and you switch your order, the other ones might be gone too. So, but that's, that's getting super pro and technical. So, okay. Well, Josh, this was awesome. You're awesome. The bread looks great. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll definitely have to do this again. We should. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. Bye.